0: Ultra, and welcome back to the Talking Garney podcast with me, Stuart McNamara, and my co-host, Rob the Wrecking Ball Cross. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I was a boxer as well. In
1: <laughs> Did you kill a man? <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame that Killer Cross is utterly taken by the wrestler, because be, that's, that's a good name, you know. Uh, how are you today, Rob? I'm good. We're having lovely weather here. We're, we're in the uh, the alternate location that we film this when it's... Or yeah, this. I think it's the, the better-sounding location at the very least. Yeah, when it's too warm to go to the other place. Yeah. Lovely weather here. We're having... Um, not the best news at the moment with the coronavirus. We have a partial lockdown in not our yeah. not, where we, not where we are. We're but. lucky
0: enough and. Uh...
1: I'd still and be working. Good weather because of it. Yeah, I'm like, still <laughs> working remotely for the time being. It was <laughs> supposed to go back to the office on Monday. That's no longer happening. But yeah, uh, sure enough, we'll stay positive. We'll stay positive. We do our best. Uh, but uh, let's get into the the, the meat and bones. the the meat and potatoes. If you want
0: to. <laughs> bony potatoes. The bro, bony was potatoes. It? A big Delicious. massive lumper. <laughs> <laughs> What's uniquely Irish today, Stu? So we've a bit of unfortunate news this week in that John Hume passed away. He did. So I think. In His memory will probably do uniquely Irish this week on him. Absolutely. I know that as our resident historian, you'd be <laughs> more versed in his
1: career and yeah. life than I would. So, why don't you start us off? Well, well, I, I guess in a, a nutshell, John Hume was widely regarded as one of the greatest Irishmen ever. Been described as our Martin Luther King by the late John Lewis, another civil uh, rights icon in the US that passed away not too long ago. And yeah, he was. Uh, uh, nationalist, but a, a, a nationalist in, in Northern Ireland who always stuck by peace. Now, we kind of explained a little bit before when we did The, yeah, the I mean, Foreigner about... we explained the yeah, conflict in the North or with the as, North as best say. as we could. Yes. But, in fact, John Hume came from the nationalist background, predominantly Catholic, as we as we discussed. Yes. And he was saw a lot of injustice that was happening in the early 60s Northern Ireland... Um, by the Protestant predominantly Protestant uh, unionist um, government at the time, you had an overwhelming majority and it was they were denying uh, Catholics one man one vote when it came to local elections, they would always rig the, 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 the local electoral yeah, areas. Yeah. So yeah. that, let's say... They if were there was, all housed
0: in the one Catholic area. Yeah,
1: they would kind of have it that if there was a Catholic area, it would never be on its own. They'd put it in, they'd split it in half in with two larger Protestant areas so that there might only be one Catholic councillor in each ward where there would be like a Catholic ward, a predominantly Catholic ward of a Yeah, about basically... Nationalist ward gerrymandering. Four or five. Gerrymandering is the term, yeah. Uh, was going on. Then there was um, issuing with Catholics... Generally, now I'm going to say Catholic and Protestant interchange. But generally speaking, in the city of Derry, where he was from, yeah. and I am calling it Derry by the way, it was predominantly with Catholics, and there are some sectarian things there as well involving the the Orange men, the Orange Order, and the Apprentice Boys of Derry, which I'll discuss in a moment. But it is there is definitely at the time it was a lot of r- religious tension. As not just nationalists versus unionists, because there's you know people of multiple faith communities involved. Still, so in in particular in Derry, the the, the civil rights organisation Northern Ireland started there, and this was about peacefully protesting against the treatment that Catholics were getting there. They were not allowed to organise in large number. They had lost. They were getting discriminated against in housing. They had asked for a McGee College in in the in the city, and this is the second largest city in Northern Ireland. Let us point out by a sizable margin, they were asking it to be made a university. Yeah, so that yeah. Belfast had Queen's University and there would be a university then in Derry. But they decided to build the University of Ulster, as it became, in a, in a tiny little, predominantly unionist town called Coleraine. Shocking!
0: I wouldn't believe it.
1: And McGee didn't get it. And this caused a lot of uh, civil rights marches and protests um, as a result of this, because these citizens are arguing, well, we identify as Irish and we're Catholic generally, but we're like, well, if you're going to say that we're British subjects, then we want the same treatment as every other Englishman, well, Scotsman or Welshman would. That's what they were saying. And their piece of the protest was met, uh, attacked by the RUC, the Royal Ulster Constabulary, or the police force at the time, overwhelmingly Protestant a lot of them were also involved in the Orange Order, which is a, a Protestant fraternal organisation. we think a bit like the Freemasons, who like marching and wearing their bowler hats and their orange sashes on the 12th of July in commemoration of the uh, Battle of the Boyne, when you know a protestant dutch king came over and invaded the united kingdom to get rid of the catholic king it's we won't go into all of that but <laughs> it's for a different podcast it history. is for a different podcast <laughs> in history but so john hume was involved in all of these things peacefully protesting and he got involved in politics and he, he wasn't in favor of the ira as we discussed before in their yeah, struggle for freedom he was all the... about peace refusing to involve in violence and after Northern Ireland's parliament was was dissolved in 1972 because the troubles had started. The the Bloody Sunday in 1969 happened where 12 unarmed civilians marching through Derry peacefully were killed by paratroopers. Yeah. He actually didn't attend that. He, he did. Yeah,
0: Bloody Sunday, well, no, he was at the previous week's one. Sarah, my, apo- my, my apologies. And he, he, he knew correct. that the next one was going to turn violent yeah. if it had went on because yeah. there was one it wasn't at one one of the beaches and they were forced away by the That's police. right that's right. Yeah.
1: Um set so my apologies too. I was there's there's a lot of bits <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of this here.
0: And um, in fairness I did spring it on you, you when I had a chance you to look did. at the
1: documentary before we started. I I did study this for the leaving cert for, for my exam before college for history we did we studied this in in detail. Um which shows kind of how important this man was that yeah. for the it's it's worth kind of noting as well that he and a group of other people, uh, including Seamus Malland... Um, uh John Devlin I think they set up a new political party in 1972 the, the SDLP the Social Democratic Labour Party which was a nationalist party which, which which I was arguing for like the nationalist communities and there were only Catholic communities in the north but from kind of you know as you can say from the Social Democratic and Labour Party was a little more kind of left-leaning um, and what we discussed before some of the IRA were a little bit communist <laughs> and socialist in that they were very much uh, affiliated at, at, at one time or another to the Labour Party in, in down here in the south of Ireland I probably should in the South of Ireland, talking about John Hume, <laughs> uh, the Republic, here, this part of the, the thing, and abnormal connections with the Labour Party in the United Kingdom. So and it was all and they, they were getting involved in an early peace agreement called Sunningdale, which was about getting the very first time they talked about getting unionists, nationalists, and kind of the in-between the alliance in, into kind of together. That fell apart because of Ian Paisley and a bunch of um unionist sieges, basically. There's no nice way of saying it. But John stuck with his guns. He, he he kept trying to push to these compromise things of working with unionists, sticking to peace, and even through the eighties when they, they tried to get another peace agreement through, which would be like have what we have today in the north, which is you know unionists and nationalists working together. That didn't go through due to unionist opposition again. And it's it's really when. You get to the 90s and the IRA have a ceasefire. Sinn Fein, who we said at war varying times, the political wing of the IRA, had gotten rid of some of the vestiges of their previous uh, characteristics under previous issue when Gerry Adams took power and really were trying to make uh, a movement for non violence at least. But a lot of the unionists refused to negotiate with them. And it was John Hume really who said, Look, I have been representing this nationalist community. You know, to the United Kingdom to the world because I was willing to go to Parliament in, in the United Kingdom take the oath and take my seat there yeah. even you know, putting the oath saying I take this oath in order to represent my constituents and then swearing allegiance to the Queen which was too much for Sinn Féin and a lot of other nationalists. Yeah. but he got them to the table in, 90, in the 90s in the 98th we get the Good Friday Agreement the Belfast Agreement where we finally had peace in Northern Ireland we had everyone sitting at a table willing to work to each other and himself and David Trimble who was the leader of the, the Ulster Unionist Party at the time, their famous image of them standing on stage with Bono, who, we don't like Bono we'll, give Bono, we'll give Bono a pass on this. Bono was there for no reason. <laughs> and with their long struggle they had, they managed to, he won the Nobel Peace Prize for this, it's worth yeah, saying. And,
0: and as he should have, this is should have. a huge conflict
1: that he yeah. was able to, to and temper down. he became a deputy first minister of Northern Ireland, sort of the joint Prime Minister of Northern Ireland, if you will, under this joint administration with the Unionists and Nationalists and the Alliance Party. and um, He retired in 2001, but still was still was very involved, was still involved in the European Parliament, still gave speeches everywhere, still was very passionate about going to America, telling the, the US congressman there's a lot more work to be done here and yeah, every I mean, time. That, that
0: was one thing that I found very interesting, was his connecting with America yeah. to, to get help. I mean, wasn't it uh, Kennedy's grandfather or grandson? I'm not sure. One of the Kennedy Anyway, who actually like sent him a telegram, being like, "If you need me, yeah. send me an old telegram back." And he did, and he met my like, Jimmy Carter, who's still going absolutely.
1: Oh, Jimmy! I, <laughs> I'm starting to think that nothing still building houses. I'm, I'm starting to think that nothing is going to kill Jimmy Carter. Don't think anything could at this stage. I think I don't like. I honestly don't know who's going to who's going to blink first, the Queen or Jimmy Carter at this point. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, good, good Southern boy, um, Jimmy Carter. But um, yeah, yeah, I
0: mean, it's just the American Irish Americans in particular taking uh, such a stance on it and helping out in so many ways i think to is bring
1: this to fruition i think it's important to say as well that a lot of irish americans did support the struggle as yeah. it was known back in the day like you had the I think now I don't want to get the name of the organisation incorrect so I shan't name them but there were a couple of organisations certainly in America which were set up by Irish Americans with a little bit of help from Irish people who were, you know they'd go into the Irish pubs and the people whose like great-grandmother was from County Cavan, kind of thing and they yeah. chuck chuck a, a few bob in a, in a bucket basically and that was going back to extensively the IRA for the armed struggle but John really kind of pushed against that being like no you can't just vote like these pointless residents through Congress saying you want to United Ireland, as they've done quite regularly up to this point, and still be allowing your constituents to chuck money to what was a terrorist organization at the time. Yeah. I don't make any claims about saying that. And using the what you saw with the civil rights movement in the United States, and Martin Luther King was an inspiration yeah. to him. And it's the funny saying. thing is that at the same time,
0: I think in a lot of things that I've read, the civil rights movement was also inspired by the struggles in the north as well. So it there was, was kind of this this code.
1: Uh, it's a inspiration. bit of it's a bit of both, really. You, you can kind of talk about what and in, which inspired which, and I think definitely there was inspiration in you know sixty five kind of onwards yeah. from the the US civil rights movement. I think a lot of protest, peaceful protest comes from Mahatma Gandhi.
0: Yeah.
1: And things like that. But Gandhi's main thing about doing hunger strikes comes from an Irish Republican in the nineteen twenties, uh I'm gonna, gonna Thomas McSweeney, I was gonna say Thomas McCurtain, but he was a Lord IRA uh, well, Sinn Fein Lord Mayor of Cork during the War of Independence and he was imprisoned, you know, for just you know, he was elected rightfully Lord Mayor of Cork and he protested against the British burning Cork to the ground, even though the British we did it ourselves. But I don't. Yeah, I don't. Know. I, I don't know how we did that, Stu But Look, unless uh, we
0: were doing it for the insurance, there's no way we're burning down our own city. <laughs> <Just
1: trying. laughs> it's out there with the petrol,
0: it's like just a big boss full of Limerick lads coming down to burn Cork.
1: It's like, no, no, we're
0: we're uh, we're here on holidays. We didn't yeah. burn
1: anything. He, he went on hunger strike and passed away and it was one of the largest ever funeral cortages from, from London to Cork and it was a huge movement it, it got worldwide attention to Ireland along with the execution of Kevin Barry as well and it, 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 it Gandhi was, I believe, in London and he saw this, and that inspired him, which in turn inspired a lot of other peaceful things here. So there's this whole peaceful resistance to yeah. British rule and what what have you has always been there. But I think John Hume just took it to the next level, yeah, and I more think... importantly, you, you you can he was voted our greatest living Irishman a couple of years ago, and he was rightfully seen though as the gr- greatest person certainly of the 20th and 21st century in, in this island, and you can't take away from the fact that without him we probably wouldn't have had the peace agreement that we have in the yeah North I mean, mo- cannot, that cannot be overstated yeah for most
0: of our lives i mean i'm 27 rob you're 26 27 oh you're 27 already yeah i can't remember i'm gonna cut that one out you'll never know <laughs> i get confused sometimes either way most of our lives since we were about what six we've had we've yeah we've had we've had a, a peace in peaceful country in yeah. peaceful island i should say um and a lot of that just to kind of almost tied into the movie a bit is that kind of American relationship yeah that there is with Ireland because there's a common bond in the fight in let's not say the fight, the struggle against British rule. Yes which there is a lot of between us. We both have
1: that uh, that in common. We do. And I think there's a bit of a brotherhood there almost. We, you know, Irish people went to America and some of them came back as this movie. Seg- segue nicely yeah. in, into the movie. And that is an important theme, but certainly this wouldn't have been done without uh, people like... Even to just credit, Ronald Reagan like, putting push, their Jimmy Carter, JFK, and Bill Clinton in particular, who did, did a, a lot of work in getting this through, along with John Major, and as much as I dislike Tony Blair for other reasons, and Bertie Ahern as well, I have to credit both of them for... Getting this Good Friday Agreement through yeah. and for John Bruton as well in previous D sheets, helping it go through as well. But
0: yeah, so I think in yeah. summary, anyway, if you don't know a lot about John Hume, go onto YouTube, find a few documentaries. There are a ton because he's done a lot in his story career. I... I, and,
1: uh, I, I think as well, if it, it, I'll just say something briefly at the end, uh, John passed away last week at the age of about 82, and he had Alzheimer's for the last few years, and I, I personally know from my own grandfather how difficult it is sometimes to care for someone with Alzheimer's and how, you know, not all of your mind goes at, at times. You can still remember the past, and I've read some wonderful stories about John who would just kind of walk around Derry when he was at the start of the, the illness, and he could talk about the past no problem and he'd talk about all the old names of streets and everything else and people would people would mind him no one would ever like nothing would ever happen to him because he always had about five or six people walking with him and there was a great quote from it was that John looked after the people of Derry for decades and now it's our turn to look after him and I think that kind of sums it up there that was yeah and uh, we'll uh,
0: definitely be having a a point
1: in his honour tonight anyway we certainly will Um, John uh, was quite possibly the greatest ever Irishman I think it's very important to say and it's someone to be very proud but uh, Rest in peace. Exactly. And uh, now we'll (laughs) go on to something
0: a little bit more upbeat in (laughs) Quiet Man. So this is the movie of uh, an uh, Irish-American who decides to come back to his family home that his Mm -hmm. grandparent or his mother had left... Yes, so long ago, and uh, he's clearly a very rich man at this point. I don't know, they, they don't really address it, but he just kind of buys whatever he wants. Yeah. But uh, uh, while there, she's sees a, a lovely Irish lass, and uh, it's kind of the, the story of him trying to marry her, and uh, everything that goes along with it.
1: Yeah, and it, it, I, I guess in a sense it is, is don't want to say the, the classic story, but it is, you, you you know, stranger kind of comes in and meets the local lass, and it's a—it's it, not an uncommon trope in a lot of movies and literature and all that yeah, so it's directed
0: by John Ford, who has an astonishing 147 director
1: credits. A very, very famous director. I mean, I mean, I a fantastic director.
0: Yeah, he's done The Likes of the Grapes of Wrath, and actually The Play on the Stars, which is another Irish play well, by my, Sean O'Casey. My very
1: favourite play, actually, as, as you would know. Yeah, which I, I, I love Sean O'Casey's work. I think we both had to read it for uh, secondary school in our day. I actually live not too... When I'm in Dublin, I... My... I Don't Live Terribly Far from His Birthplace and that is actually being turned into I believe a museum is what they're I discussing I imagine about. so I mean it's seminal like if you're if you want to kind of get an opinion of what Dublin is like literally in this time frame definitely read The Plough and the Star Shadow of a Gunman fantastic fantastic writer yeah we might
0: have to do that movie at some point
1: Well, so Oh I'd recommend they did a, a play of it recently that was featured on RT where they had it shot in the place in Dublin where oh, originally it originally was yeah. the north, and they had locals actually acting the parts, and it was fantastic performance, I must say. Well, then we'll have to do that at some point. Put it <laughs> on the list. Absolutely. If only we had someone to put it
0: on the list for us. Because <laughs> we'll forget. <laughs> oh, um, I won't forget. Then the main star is, of course, John Wayne himself, mm-hmm. as Sean Thornton. Uh, he's best known for being in every Western ever made. Yeah. It's, uh, it's odd, though, that the... They got a Mongolian
1: to play uh, an Irish American. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> I have to I, say I, it. I I feel that you know his Genghis Khan was was not one of his uh, better film roles I don't think so. I I prefer to think of him but like But he's such a natural <laughs>
0: Mongolian. <laughs>
1: I, I, think, I, I think of John Wayne, I went for The, the Quiet Man, <laughs> uh, you know, him as Rooster Coburn in, um, what's that film, his name I keep forgetting, but you're know the one I mean, uh, in Sean's Sands of Iwo Jima, yeah, that's that one.
0: Yeah, so as a pretty much every Western ever made, and then one where he played a Mongolian for some reason. So then we have Irish-born Maureen O'Hara. Mm-hmm. Who plays Mary Kate Danaher, who's John Wayne's love interest? Uh, so she was born in Ranelagh in Dublin,
1: very nice part of Dublin.
0: Uh, she was actually in the original Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. She was.
1: I've seen that film several times. And the Parent Trap. Yep. So you know, she had a very storied career. I, th- I believe that this was actually
0: her favorite movie she's ever done.
1: Yeah, she talked about it. she only didn't die too long ago, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, I think she was actually from what I read. Listening to the film score as she passed away, which is quite sweet. That yeah, she loved this film so much because it was actually kind of a passion project, really, between it really, herself between and John Ford, Ford and
1: Wayne. Yeah. And and Maureen O'Hara as well. He they agreed like on a handshake uh, yeah. to that she would help him out with this and star because she was really one of the first actual Irish kind of stars in Hollywood because she you know Maureen O'Hara was Irish. She yeah. wasn't Irish American like John Ford was. She was actually Irish and you know played a good part. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about later how that actually helped the performance and things like that. But a few nice bits and bobs. I can yeah. talk About that.
0: So then we have Barry Fitzgerald as Micheline Flynn, Yep. Yeah. Uh, so he's also Dublin born. Uh, I didn't see anything very familiar that he was in, but uh, he was great. <laughs> oh, I loved him. He was very, he was he very kinda, much that. <laughs> he's probably the instigator for that kind of character. You see it with Darby O'Gill is very similar as yeah. well. That kind of the the wizened old Irishman. man. Who's it's very
1: much drunken <laughs> down and. <laughs> If if um, I'm a big my other favorite Irish playwright after uh, Sean O'Casey is John B. Keane and there's a character uh, Tricky Dicky uh, Richard Owen who's the matchmaker in the in the Matchmaker and yeah. the other pieces he's done and. This is, I think, definitely where a lot of the inspiration for the two of them came from. It. I can't remember which was quite first, but they're very similar. It's like that old matchmaker kind of, oh-ho-ho, oh, kind of Irishman. It, it, it's a trope yeah. almost in certain Irish stories, but very genuine, I think, as well. Yeah, and the man can drink. I mean... Oh, he sure can. Yeah. <laughs> leave the battle I just love it. The, the horse always stops us <laughs> <of> the pub. <pelvis.
0: laughs> oh, brilliant. And then the last kind of major figure, then, is Victor McLagan as Will Danaher who is
1: Mary-Kate's brother in this, which yes. is strange. There's quite quite a, quite a an age gap there, clearly.
0: Yeah, I think it was like 30 years or something.
1: between. Well, I believe between the two actors, Marina O'Hara was in her 30s uh, when she shot this, and he was 64.
0: Yeah, so pretty so... much about 30 years. And it was weird, because one of my notes is literally uh, the daughter-wife kind of situation again. And then I just went back and scratched it out, wrote in Sister, because <laughs> I was proven wrong. It's... It just, it, it it's weird I think that they chose that
1: when being her daughter would kind of have played the same ish. I can kinda of see that. I I suppose I don't know. I mean, I I might I talk a little bit of my family history and, uh, when you are doing the video because there, there are relevant points to it specifically. Right. But I mean, I did have my great grandfather was married twice because his first wife died when they were quite young. So he did have let's say children from two wives, and there was a bit of an age gap, so not that big. Yeah, but it's I, I suppose it, in one sense it wouldn't be so there's, uncommon. There's not yeah. a it wouldn't I'd, surprise. I to think, have such an age gap. I think there's like there's definitely an age gap between the two of them, but I think it's being played as it might be about ten. Or a little more years. I don't think it's being portrayed as thirty odd years. So I, I I'm, I'm willing to accept that. Yeah, yeah. Even said it was her uncle. I'd be like, okay. But yeah, father
0: would have kind of just made a bit more sense.
1: But <laughs> yeah. I suppose it doesn't really matter too much. But this guy, what a, a
0: giant of a man! I thought it looked, he's, he's huge. Just, he just looks like Shrek. He really has that build. Like if 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 they had decided to do some kind of live action Shrek in this yeah. time, there's your guy. Just,
1: Paint him green and watch him go. Because, like, John Wayne was not a small man. Oh, yeah. He was a big fan. He's bigger. than think he he's, says it in the he's he's like, 6'3 or 6'4 or something. And, like, he says, I think, 6'6 six, six, six and, like, 4th or something like that. I think. Something That's mad, nice. yeah. yeah. But this guy's bigger than him and not just taller, like, bulkier. Like, I could fully think that he's able to, like... Because I think
0: when I saw... Because he first comes in in a silhouette.
1: Yeah. And we're kind of already going into
0: spoiler-free, so we'll just continue yeah. with that. Uh, you just kind of see him in the door frame. And you can't actually see yeah. him, but his outline. And like, I thought it was like the guy who plays Jaws and James Bond. Oh, just R- had that like
1: Richard Keel. <laughs> it was just
0: like that massive man look. You know,
1: like the hands that could just crush your face yeah. with one hand. It's it's kind of interesting almost that he isn't like um, even a farmer or something. Because you could definitely see him being a farmer and like, you know, lifting yeah, donkeys just, out of ditches. It's just like the kind of, kind of
0: way that yeah. people who do that get that... Large, but
1: well, I think he's maybe perhaps a gentleman. Like they have a nice house, but he, he seems yeah, he, to be,
0: he's he, from he, the UK anyway.
1: Yeah, he's, uh, I know he is, yeah, but uh, it was interesting anyway. Though. Big fella, yeah,
0: yeah, huge. Uh, so yeah, I suppose we're pretty much in uh, the spoiler free part anyway. So, one thing that was very jarring, and I think actually John Wayne didn't like it as well is the onset versus in Ireland scenes yes like the cutting was it's, it's a it's, a bit, quite it's a bit off
1: like they did shoot this on in, in Ireland in Cong County Mayo primary yeah. there are bits that the and railway station was shot near Toome in Galway it is so there is a heritage line I believe
0: yeah a lot of the places yeah. are
1: still there well I like there, there's no place called there is a place called Innisfree the Lake Isle of Innisfree from William Butler Yeats' famous poem but this was shot in Cong County Mayo it wasn't shot there at all and coming off Yates' house is actually used uses one of the castle locations. Oh the right. yeah. So I, I think that there, I think that was like a little nod and a wink um, to that as well. But um, yeah, I, I think the, the outside settings are certainly very accurate. Oh yeah, I mean, the, like the they found a, a beautiful are, spot in Ireland to shoot. Really, I think to some kind of nineteen twenties Ireland, it's exactly spot on because this was shot in like. 1950 1951 yeah and it hasn't really changed much in 30 years like but i think that's why they, they did pick con county mayo because we said this before as well there are certain places out in the country that are a bit lost in time and yeah it, it works which perfectly. is
0: which is what you want in a way hmm. it kind of gives that heritage of the the island yeah um i did find it funny though the actual the town itself looked very similar to the town in darby o'gill it did <laughs> and but it, it, it could have been that disney used that as a a reference
1: image for the town because obviously that town yeah. was on a sound stage rather than being an actual place. I but think that it sort of says something about the general layout of towns in kind of the west of Ireland. Yeah, and it, it, they're they're all not terribly dissimilar. And I think when you when he gets to the the, the bridges of Mam Mamacross where he's coming into the the town, he just looks down and sees like the churches and all that there. That's really beautiful shot. That's really called the the Quiet Man Bridge now. think yeah. is what it's called. Um, but that just sums up what kind of that part of rural Ireland is like in in Mayo or even like Galway or Clare or whatever. It's a lot of places do look like that, but I think they found arguably the best from a that kind of perspective. But I think it was beautifully shot, and I think it's yeah. a wonderful little place.
0: But then obviously, the, just when it goes to say then being on a, a carriage and sometimes yeah. then you have the the whatever the projected screen, the rear projection. Them. Yeah, it
1: just doesn't look good. It, it's it's even
0: the the lighting is bad, and obviously like we're complaining about. the this in 2020 where we have CGI that can make anything possible so I mean maybe at the time it was okay I mean as I said John yeah. Wayne did complain about it so it mightn't been as perfect as some other movies had you, been
1: you see maybe it's just me but there's plenty of like bits where they are on horses and on on the carts yeah. and on the the jaunting cars and it's on location like as they're going through crowds. I don't see why you like maybe it was just impractical to like mount a camera. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, have to, <laughs> it would be
0: completely impractical to do that back then. Just having a massive camera, and probably guy rolling the film, yeah, as
1: it goes. But uh, yeah, it is noticeable, but I don't I don't think it distracts from the story too much. Of course
0: not. I mean, you know, you, you're watching films in this time. You period, expect it's, yeah it's a so. certain
1: level of that. It was just striking
0: at times, and since John Wayne himself noted it, uh, I thought it was something to bring up. The thing about this film is that it goes in a lot of direction.
1: It does. It it's definitely tries a lot of ideas.
0: I think the way I was trying to describe it in my own head was that it's The Field, which is another great Irish movie, yep. mixed with Romeo and Juliet, Yep. and Rambo near the end. I th- <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think... Like you'd never expect it to mix these three movies, but they did, and it kind of works.
1: I think that it does work, and it, it's very much the field is. Um... A John B. Keen play, yeah. and it's it's a very similar kind of. Plot. We might we'll probably review that film at some point. Actually, yeah, I'd of just, But I mean, it's, without it,
0: going into too much detail, it's a guy a,
1: buys a field. An American comes over, buys a field. There's a dispute with the other guy. Um, they actually inserted the love interest into the film a little bit more. Yeah. The film is not as faithful to the the original play. I well, say it's not that, a, but, that long of a
0: play, I don't think. From what I remember
1: compared to it's, translating it's a good movie it's uh, three acts if I remember correctly but I quite enjoy it as well but um, it uh, it does follow a similar kind of plot line but it's I like what they kind of do with it but it, 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 I think a lot of it um, is a bit perhaps outdated but that's and it's set in 1920s Ireland being shot in the 1950s in Ireland so I suppose these old concepts of like dowries and your honor and all that it's a bit it doesn't reflect as well because it's set 100 years ago from from now but um at the time it would have still been accurate would have been living memory for everyone
0: yeah sure Uh, it's just it is a, a funny kind of combination of movies in that way and we'll we'll get into it more about why that is in spoilers uh one thing that I noticed is that uh, there are power lines in one of the shots?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I. When they're
0: coming into one of the there, the very there is main town
1: castle town. I think. Yeah, that's that wouldn't entirely been the case back then I, I know this because my grandfather was involved in the rural electrification, yeah. and they I'll tell you they didn't have electricity out there at the time we didn't yeah. really until really in the 1920s later 1920s when we were well it doesn't say specifically when this is set it, it's certainly after yeah. independence so it's probably sure. it's between about 1922 and probably 1928 or something like that by the sense,
0: yeah. But then the next scene, it kind of it's all better because they have a big sign for Lion's Tea. <laughs> they do.
1: There's there's quite an there's quite a nice these little things. I know they have one for like uh, Will's uh, Gold Flake oh, yeah, yeah. cigarettes on, as well. It's just, just, just on the train, which is which I think is is quite accurate for the time as well. And the whole thing of the train being delayed for four hours because of the Mayo uh, Oh yeah, the yeah, Mayo the or whatever. Uh, the whole curse of the Mayo team is something else we won't get into today <laughs> but uh, I thought that was quite accurate and the same things about that virus train strictly rural when before we had like unified train services it was um, they were notably unreliable Percy French had a famous song from the West Club they're not Roma. much
0: better now
1: they're actually <laughs> on time 98% of the time. too it's what like, about I'm, that 2% Rob I'll have you know I'm a big train spotter and I will not take disparagement here <laughs> or anything like incorrectness here Rob's mom is outside is that going to work? Yeah, yeah it could be granted. Time. We'll cut that. No, we
0: won't. Never cut anything, Rob. That's what I always say. Keep the trash in with everything else. Because <laughs> it's all trash anyway. So we'll... Um, oh. We'll... Uh, what was the fucking so thing? I suppose the last uh, kind of big thing to talk about that isn't really a spoiler is the Talking Irish.
1: Which I quite liked, I, I must say, and um it's it, it's good that Marina Hara, who actually is Irish, did this because she can speak it and I think more importantly actually speaks the correct dialect as well, Stu. So I, I didn't notice any issues of that, did you? Yeah,
0: no, like I mean I'm not great with the old Irish myself and only caught a few of the words, but those words I understood. So
1: Yes I mean what she says is um I had this written down Níorlig uh, is so basically, what she's saying is, Father, I didn't sleep in bed with my husband last night. He slept in uh, by the window in a. She's like trying to work out how to put sleeping bag into Irish because it it's a very alien concept. To yeah, you know, I mean, that, that is pointed
0: people. out a couple of times in the movie that they just don't understand why you'd need a sleeping bag.
1: Yeah, so she's trying to translate it, and then the priest but she basically just says, I couldn't sleep with him in the bed last night, and he slept by there, and then he starts giving out. She's like, oh, you can't do that. Then the salmon comes and saves the day.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll get into the salmon. Uh, so I suppose we'll give our reviews and then we'll jump into spoilers because there's a lot of this movie and not a lot of it can be said without spoiling yeah so uh, what do you think Rob?
1: Croc of Gold really enjoyed this film um, I've seen this multiple times and I think it's possibly John Wayne's best film definitely Marina Hara's best film I'd go as far as saying possibly John Ford's best work as well it's beautifully shot I love the soundtrack to this as well it's beautiful I really really enjoyed this film <laughs>
0: yeah uh, I'd have to give it a croc of gold as well I didn't enjoy everything I think I was kind of surprised when it went on as long as it will. I'll discuss that a little bit later. Yeah. And I know there's some trivia about there that. Is, there is. But uh, it was kind of, as I said, just with the, the kind of the three different kind of plots with the field, Romeo and Juliet and Rambo kind of coming in, it felt a little muddled. But overall, it, it was a good story and you get to go through it and obviously we're talking about a time when mm. movies weren't action in your face all the time. So a slower pace works yeah.
1: for, that, for that particular time period. I think it did maybe go a bit longer and there could have been bits that were could have been cut but I think it what makes up for it is just how well it was shot and particularly how beautiful the countryside is and just how I think excellent some of the shots are I, I can't really credit yeah, I mean, John Ford enough so I think it kind of just, makes it, up for it to a certain uh... extent
0: in a weird thought, I know they didn't really do this at the time, but would it have been an interesting thing for them to do it as a sequel, where this... Oh,
1: the, he's like the, the boxer thing first. In the well, first no, I,
0: as in even up to the midway point. Okay. And then have everything after that, just as a thought, because okay, it, interesting. it seemed... Like, I was surprised... Okay, we're just going to go into spoilers now and we'll continue from there. Yep. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it and then come back or get it spoiled because it's like a 70-year-old movie at this point. Uh, So just, I was kind of surprised when the wedding happened at like the hour mark.
1: Yeah, that is. Because I felt I I was like,
0: (laughs) you know, this is going to be, you know, the the happy ending and everything's going to be fine. Which is probably partly just because that's how movies go now. Hmm. But it was just like. Oh no! I have like an hour and ten minutes left in this movie. What the fuck is going to happen next?
1: In in it, it is kind of it. It's like it, it almost the courting almost happens so quickly that you're you're yeah. kind of like looking at the rooms and like where is this going to go? But I, I, I think you know the conflict between Sean and Will is going to happen, and sure. they're going to have a proper scrap. Like
0: yeah, and there are kind of seeds of. There's seeds of that. But, Who Trooper Tho- Thorne is.
1: Yeah, like his Thorn, former boxing thing. Yeah. But it, there's a lot there that isn't dealt with by then. And then like withholding the dowry then and all these other things. And it It, it does kind of feel that maybe that should have almost happened before the wedding. And everything else, like the, maybe the ending in the film should be the wedding instead of. I do, I do like the ending of the film where she yeah, whispers something in and they run off. I think that is quite nice, and how it shows you all the townspeople and they they trick the Protestants. We'll <laughs> <laughs> talk about that later, but I, I can kind of those see go why to the Protestants caught up. <laughs> I wouldn't know anything about that, but. um they it's an interesting choice. I think you could have ended the film like with them going off on the jaunting car getting married instead of Will Danaher and the widow yeah. kind of with their if that was their wedding thing that would have worked as well.
0: I think the the best way to put my point is if they were to remake this film now, which I don't think they should because it was a very good movie in its own right, but you know, that's what Hollywood does now, they just take old stuff and redo it. They would probably stretch out the stuff in the beginning of the first act, say. Yeah. And then have the wedding be the ending of the of the movie and then have a second movie where everything after
1: that takes place
0: yeah i, I think that's fair enough because it, it's it almost as i said it seems like an ending point but then there's another hour left and you're like holy shit
1: yeah i mean i don't really i think it might have been a thing at the time i i i just don't really think i can't think of another film as a bit like that even like something like casablanca which was a bit yeah. older than this didn't really but even like this were there a moment. lot of two hour plus movies i know
0: there are, even generally
1: two hours is about standard really because just you know reels of film and all that it was yeah two reels of film was standard so I, I you know beyond that i'm not really too sure
0: right so what else have we got for well okay, we'll kind of go from the start say yeah so he gets in uh, on the train and uh, he starts asking for directions and he gets the most irish response everyone
1: offers every con-
0: well, you know, you want to go down this way, and if you're looking for the salmon or the trout, you have to go over here. And I was like, that's exactly what happens in Ireland, because yes. <laughs> everyone has their own specific way of getting somewhere.
1: And I, and I, and, and I in. I feel that was very accurate and very true, and particularly for a rural thing. You know, yeah. you ask directions there, they'll, they'll. It, it's not very much go down this road, and it's only like, go. Take a left there, and then take the next left, and go by Paddy's farm there. Paddy, you look after yeah. if you get lost again. You know, yeah, of, you've, and,
0: you, you've forgotten <laughs> everything because they've gone into a rambling spiel in the meantime. About something yeah. completely different. Uh, and then we get the uh, introduction of Micheline, where he just kind of walks up and steals his bags. Which I thought is what was happening.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he just takes them and walks off. It's a choice, but I, I think part of him probably did recognise him. You'd almost well, be no, like... Well, I mean,
0: it was, a, it was a cute thing where he reveals later on. So he gets on the, the horse and they go down along or on the carrot I should say. And uh, he's looking at his whole family... House and he says he reveals himself to Micheline is like oh my god it's you and all that.
1: Um, I I, just a couple of things that I could say. Thornton is an Irish name, certainly. Generally, would be seen as more of a Protestant name, but you know, I love Catholic Thorntons as well, so that's fine. Uh, But Micheline now, this is this is a minor nitpicky thing, but yeah, he's obviously called Micheline or Micheline Michael Michael O because it generates a diminutive form. So like, if your father was called Michael and you were also called Michael or Michal, the Irish version of it, instead of like Michael Senior, Michael Jr., it's going to be Michael, and then Michael Oag, Little Michael. Yeah. It's is quite a common thing in certain parts of the country, but Michaline Og would, is like, um, modifier Michaeline is like, uh, Ian on the end of the name is kind of s- diminutive as well. It, it's like it young. small though. Yeah. It would young,
0: young, small Michael.
1: Yeah, but it, it almost says that it's, it would be kind of one or the other. It's kind of like dub. It's like saying like Michael Junior Junior. I suppose, but almost. I mean, it's a minor nitpicking thing. I, I don't just think thought it's even really. No, it's not said really. Much. It's, it's not really. Mickaline. It's just not really. I, I would have thought Micheline or or Michael O. It's just a minor nitpicking thing. But perhaps I'm wrong there. But it just stood out to me. But he's a very lovable character, right yeah
0: care. So then he goes off and he buys his family home for a thousand pounds.
1: I did the conversions on this, by the way. Okay, go on. So I think it's it's given as the the land is worth about three hundred pounds, and he goes for a thousand pounds. So, making the assumption that this was Irish pounds, which at the time were pegged to British pounds, it doesn't make a difference at the time. Right. Uh, using the inflation and conversion factors and everything else, it, it approximates to in British pounds today to be uh for forty four thousand nine hundred and ninety nine pounds. Which, if you convert to euros at the present exchange rate, uh, sixty four thousand nine hundred and fifty four euros. That
0: pretty good I suppose I mean
1: I oh, don't get a house in Ireland for that much these days too oh Jesus absolutely yeah, I mean,
0: you know it is a cottage so not a exactly the most modern luxurious stay. home but I, I think I,
1: we'd take it stay, if I could get something I don't care what state it's in if I could get a house for that cheap in Dublin <laughs> I'd be living there right <laughs> we all would they just start renting it out to hipsters <laughs> or... <laughs> it's like can we you know haricot might like our house as well oh my god but no so that that's um would have been quite a lot of money at the time yeah you you really can't state that that's a lot of money um, he's obviously like he probably is a millionaire because I say oh he's a millionaire like all yeah well he's
0: been, he was a boxer and that yeah. so he's clearly made his fortune from that But it's a man
1: yeah <laughs> which we'll get into more <laughs> later
0: on but it happens
1: but just I think it's worth saying like, he is obviously very well off if he can afford to pay that much because yeah. that, that would be more money than most people would see in like a couple of years yeah
0: it's never really addressed but he just seems to have enough money to do whatever he wants
1: like did he just bring a suitcase full of like dollar bills or something because that's a ridiculous Ridiculous I suppose amount of the thing he
0: should have checked is what the conversion rate between dollars and pounds would have been at the time.
1: That's a fair point, actually. I, I, I think no, well, certainly sterling would have been stronger than dollars at the time. I would have thought. We'll do it another time. <laughs> Either way, yeah. Um, just as an interesting
0: aside, uh, one thing I did like is the the characterisation of Sean's uh, father being sent to a penal colony.
1: I thought the grandfather was sent was to a penal n- colony, and, and the father died in the town. That's why the mother left to America. Possibly I, not I thought maybe, that's maybe what it was. I'm
0: mistaking it.
1: But just because
0: that is another part of our history that, transportation
1: uh, to Australia. Yeah. yeah,
0: so if you're Australian, you're probably related to us because everyone over there. <laughs> a lot of them
1: are Irish. Yeah, it was like if you committed a crime that didn't immediately result in a hanging, you could be just sent to penal servitude. Basically, so you'd be sent to Australia and just work there. You know, and then yeah. eventually you might come back. And you know, it's it's in the the song "The Fields of Athenry." Michael, they're taking you away if you told Travelling's Scorn. Now you must live in Botany Bay. So, yeah. There you go. So it's a
0: it's nice to have that kind of historical accuracy in in it. I suppose uh, one thing I found really funny was the first time. That Mary Kate see Sean. She looks like she's about to vomit for some reason.
1: Yeah, that's an odd choice, and I don't know why. You... She seems startled. Yeah, I'm not it's, even it's by just, it, just but.
0: like. She's just disgusted by the look of him for some reason.
1: Because I think I think they get, they're going to get the point across the other thing she's beautiful and it's Ma- Marina O'Hara, so she's yeah. she's gorgeous and John I mean, Main isn't a bad-looking chap. I think he's he's very much going to be a rugged American kind of a look. Yeah. So I think I think it's kind of it's Ma- very much rugged
0: Mongolian right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh,
1: racist. I I think it's certainly she's certainly a better cut than the local fellas in the village <laughs> by, the, by the look of things. Yeah. Um
0: on the local fellows in the village. It was only at the end of the film that I realised those two lads were IRAs. It's yeah. never brought up. And then near the end it's like, it's touched oh, are the ira in on
1: this. It's like, where did this come from? It's touched a little bit in the pub at the start. I think that... Because
0: um, I know they're looking through his bags with Mick Lean.
1: Yeah, but I, I think Mick says mentions them about being in the IRA then. Because they, they refer to him as Commandant. Oh and, yes, and then he says, "Oh, the war is over now, boys. For now, the struggle is over now." Because so this, so it, it's like this would have been just after the independence. But I presume they must have been like anti-Treaty IRA then, because I have no idea. But well, because because they were pro-Treaty, they'd be they would be Gar- they would be Gardaí or they'd be in the army. They I presume these are just and they seem young enough as well. So they it, they must have been like fairly young when they were fighting. Yeah, the
0: Brits I assume like, for the movie they just wanted two IRA lads in there. Yeah, but it just. It just caught me off guard. Obviously, I missed something earlier on. It was just like, at the very end, they get this characterization they haven't had the whole time where it's like, oh, they're in the IRA. Okay. Uh,
1: It was like, oh, it's like we burn your house. Well, as I'm thinking, it's interesting as well, because there's clearly, like, the the widow, like, she's, I presume she's, like, Anglo-Irish ascendancy, like, you know.
0: Probably, yeah. yeah.
1: And I'm like, but why didn't you burn out her house? Isn't that, like, literally what the IRA did to the state homes during the War of Independence and even our Civil War was just like, well, we better start burning the Brits out then.
0: Yeah, like, obviously it's just a movie and so it's hard to know everything that was going on with it. They mightn't have known or understood. Yeah. Oh, I, I,
1: I, get it as a choice. I, I do get you. That it is, a, it is a bit jarring, even when he. I, I kind of like how Michael that He's like the commandant because like yeah. he'd, he'd be. He looks like he'd he'd he would
0: have been. He would have seen a lot in his day. <laughs> it
1: lo- It looks like he was almost like not even like even in the Rab like going back to like the volunteers. You could see he was like oh I was in the one of the original Venians like <laughs> <laughs> fought with a Donovan Rasa. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, and another thing, of course, is the use of thatched houses in itself, which this movie
1: probably helped keep them around. I think so. I mean, it's. I think we know that there's still thatched cottages. I mean, if you ask me about a thatched cottage, my first thought would be Adair County Limerick. They're, still, they're yeah. famous for having to to still their thatched cottages. But um, it's not a million miles off. I think uh, certainly for when it's set in 1920s Ireland, that's not uncommon. I, oh, I, 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 think, I think that's actually completely fine. I don't take any issue with that.
0: And uh, you know, no it's, it's just it, it's lovely to see it yeah and uh, obviously they do a really good job refurbishing it in the movie yep. then and uh, they do look lovely when they're all patched up and painted right
1: I think it's I think it's really nice though when he, when they do go to the, the house and just how it's run down but clearly he's like oh the fire's on and he's trying to yeah that, he's, was, he's that was weird because <laughs> I was just like is she hiding in the shadows in the room because the way it's shot you're just like yeah it's hard to tell where she is it looks like she's just, and like, then like, he just hiding behind a curtain it's yeah like, and then he just breaks you know, the glass window of his own house. Which is weird because, like, but there's a massive storm. You're going to have to fix that, mate. Yeah. And then
0: she r- tries to run out, and then the case. Yeah. Which is a
1: bit, you know.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, it, we know it was a different time. We can't excuse it. I think there right.
1: like, I There is. I read an interesting piece actually uh, from a New Jersey newspaper, and I was looking this up, and it, it's specifically about this film in the in the Me Too times, is what it says. Right. And I had a read of it. I, I think it's fair enough. Like the bits where he's like dragging her through fields at the end is a bit. Yeah, that got a yeah, bit much. It got a bit Very much. much. I However, mean, I think it's it is worth saying that. Um, she is a very strong female, and I think, oh, yeah, willfully, you might say, yeah. And I, I think that it's the piece actually described her as a proto feminist, and I can see that to a certain extent. Like, she's very much in charge of the household, yeah, in, in a sense. She's like in charge of running, she's able to look after herself, look after the sheep. She says, I have a temper, and she's no qualms of like hitting, yeah. hitting Sean or hitting her brother. But ultimately, you know, the patriarchal structures, like, she has to get the dowry and all that. But at the same time, she's more than capable of looking after herself. And I, and I think she's not a too weak a female, the kind of archetype like you see in something. Like Casablanca, for example, where it's like, you're a French freedom fighter and you're kind of, you know, fawning yeah. over two men and kind of thing. Where, but I think yeah, Mary I mean, Cade is quite a strong female character, I would have said. Yeah, it is a, hard
0: to watch it in a way. I mean... From what I read, they did kind of enjoy doing it at the time. They were playing yeah. pranks
1: and stuff, kicking sheep shit into the her way. Even, like, when, when the woman comes up and says... Oh, here's, yeah, here's, here's the stick, stick to <laughs> <laughs> That hasn't aged well. That like, hasn't aged well.
0: a bit like, oh, God, but at the same time, it was a little funny. Just because of how weird it was to do.
1: Yeah. but uh, I, I think you could clearly tell, like, they were having a bit of crack shooting this. But yeah,
0: but, like, you can... Like, Obviously, there's no like you wouldn't do that to someone today, but you can see no. how he was he wasn't doing it in a way where he was like going to take her home and beat the shit out of her. He was doing it like, look, I made this vow that I would never box another person. You're making me break that. I'm going to do it for you. But yeah. come with me. Yeah, there, it, like it, it's it's hard.
1: I wouldn't be excusing it, but there is some weird 1950s logic to it. it. it it's the whole thing of this was shot in the 50s and then set in 1920s Ireland. So there's obviously a perception of. What, right? There are plenty of Irish people there yeah. and They didn't exactly object to this. So it, it, even like it was the whole thing was like, well, what is a house home without a woman? You kind yeah. like the two women in the one house kind of thing, yeah. and, which is dated to say the least of things. But I, like I said, you can't excuse this for just, no. you know, just being time-based. We've moved past that now. But I, I think you have to view certain films through a lens of when it was set. Yeah. And, you know, this is set a hundred years ago or possibly a hundred years yeah. ago. And th- this is filmed over 70 years ago so values and things change over time i don't think it was an inaccurate portrayal overall of rural ireland at the time i think it it very much was really in in rural parts much longer than it was in some of the larger towns and cities here where you know the, the man was very much in charge and he would be trying to to you know go go to the the, the, the other father or the, the brother or whoever is in charge basically like I'd like to like to marry your sister there he's like what because yeah. you know it's like we say the whole thing in this country like oh you want to marry someone you get the bit of land like, oh you better. Oh yeah the road frontage the road frontage or like oh they, they have a few acres there and it, it's like the whole thing where uh, it's like just, oh you didn't say you had land now kind of a thing yeah, yeah, I,
0: think, yeah. Uh, I think we'll definitely do a Uniquely Irish on matchmaking but I think we should talk about it briefly
1: because it is yeah.
0: still to this day a big tradition in Ireland
1: I've I kind of touched a little bit on it earlier that John B Keane has a, a it's, it's it's actually not a play really there, there's a play been made of it. It's originally in his letters collections a series of letters being used as a story device but there's one about the matchmaker and him trying to yeah. set up on he's like this he has a widow who keeps he keeps setting up people who keep dying on the honeymoon night <laughs> and then he has one like uh, uh, Anglo-Irish fellow who's a bit a bit you know a bit dirty and other people like that and it's quite interesting but it's this whole thing of uh, List and Varna they have the famous matchmaking festival every September isn't it yes not this year though well obviously (laughs) yeah and I I will note List and Varna they they modernise they now do same sex and they do Everything. I mean, I love that there was a great interview with the matchmaker, and he was just there like this. I will tell you, you tell me what you're looking for, and I'll find them. <laughs> like, clearly, this this old Irish fella just going. I don't care if it's two women or two men or a man, man or two woman women. or
0: sheep i I'll find it.
1: And they go, well, "That's the Roscommon matchmaker, you want there But it's it's kind of Where, um,
0: like it like it's hard to find a lot of information. I was trying to look up see how matchmaking was back then compared to what it is now.
1: It, it's kind but, of, you know... You know it, it, I, I suppose, like, back in the day, in kind of Ireland, if you wanted to... The kind of goal was just get married someone, have kids, and, like, look after yeah. the farm you're in there, look after it, whatever. And But you would have had the thing like,
0: chaperones and that.
1: Absolutely, so would have all been yeah. It like,
0: yeah. would have been a, a strict protocol in terms of courtship and all of that, that you do see
1: in the movie. I don't know if it's exactly accurate. No, it would be fairly but. accurate. I, I know from talking to... I used to watch this film with my grandfather. He was a massive mm. John Wayne fan, and he would tell me about his parents, and even like some stories about my, my grandmother and her uh, parents as well. This isn't terribly uncommon there. Um, uh, cer- certainly at the time, they, they, they wouldn't have been allowed to go out without chaperones, particularly when this was shot. Yeah, My... Um, Great grandparents, I was lucky enough to know one of my great grandmothers before she died. And, you know, from what she was telling me, it's like, oh no, you weren't allowed to. Go go out with them at all? You had to like it was be her older brother. He yeah. used to like he'd he'd be oh and he no he'd be you know, given like he'd be allowed to, to, to walk ahead of them and maybe hold hands or something. But he'd be there at the back and he's like oh I didn't see nothing. You know? He'd be <laughs> well, he'd, he'd know the story. He'd know, he'd know the story. but you know like if they were going to like a dance or something he'd yeah. be but you know, he'd but they'd be would he be, be like, space for the Holy Spirit like, like oh yeah, exactly like <laughs> but in case like oh Peter I got uh, one of the my cousins along as well I'll dance with her then I'm like, <laughs> kind of thing. But it's it certainly certainly not inaccurate I don't think um, it's it's kind of almost I suppose weird if you kind of look at it now and you, you don't sort of yeah, I mean, have in, the in kind of... age of, of t- Tinder it's weird to, yeah. <laughs> to
0: look at this matchmaking style but obviously that's the way it was and especially
1: in Ireland which is a deeply religious country. Yeah and I, I think as well it's when you didn't it, it, using kind of a matchmaker was something where if you it's generally like farmers who couldn't find wives. Yeah, I mean, one thing that w- is, was a certain yeah. aspect of that. One thing
0: that is brought up a lot is that Mary Kate is a spinster, meaning that she's what in her thirties and hasn't felt fa- which hasn't is married.
1: Kind of almost like yeah, it's un- 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 of, uncommon. Because it's generally like you'd you'd send them off to a convent to be a nun if they if they got yeah. to a certain age. like it fits in, which is not that was like mid to late twenties if, if they if they not been married off because yeah I, it's, it's very much a different thing. time and you got married quite quickly in those days. It's very much like get the kid because you know, it's like well he's got land or she's got. That land and a bit of money and you're trying to for social status almost and uh you know oh, well we need a few sons to look after our farm and their farm and they kind of go together and everything else so it's um there's definitely an aspect to that there. But matchmaking is I suppose something you see in other cultures as well. But in Ireland you know, outside of that, you know you, you wouldn't meet women in the pub. I think this is something the Phil oh, and yeah, get right. They're they are the, they they the back like and stuff. Yeah. They're the Kayleigh, But um outside of that I mean like frankly when he tries to talk to her after mass. Yeah.
0: That, that would, was weird
1: though. That's I think that's actually fairly accurate because But like
0: just cupping the holy water into his hand. That is like who does this who does that? Like some weird 1950s sexy thing to do.
1: I don't get that at all. It's if anything it's actually quite offensive yeah, if you're a Catholic cuz that's stabbing your hand into the holy water. I, that's yeah, that's quite odd. And I mean now you wouldn't do it at all. I mean no. today's society putting your hand in someone else's water. Well, on a slight aside, I know I told you this story. They obviously got rid of all the, 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 the fonts for holy water. Yeah, in churches. No, but I saw this great guy over in the US and he had individual shot glasses of holy water. So when you went in there, you could have your own shot glass of holy water and bless yourself. You didn't have to share. And I was like, that's actually quite clever. See, the, the worry there is that you start necking up. Yeah, I,
0: I mean, we have uh, muscle memory there. And uh, <laughs> look, sometimes it happens to me with an espresso, where I'll just get it and we ah, perfect, and down the hatch,
1: and ah, that hurts. But, it's just like you know, it tastes like wine. <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Um, so I, I think that was yeah, that think, was fair enough. Like, I think uh, you had uh, something about the uh, religious. It's something interesting I'd, I'd like to talk about, and it, it's we touched on this a little bit before, but. I, um, obviously you're, you're introduced to the priest as the narrator actually the uh, yeah. father um, what's his bloody name again Peter Lanigan's character anyway so Peter Lanigan is his, the character's name isn't it I couldn't tell you it doesn't really matter too much yeah. but the, 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 the Catholic the, priest. the Catholic priest who's actually the narrator in the film he kind of involves himself in the plot and he even has to do his own little his prayers because he lied to yeah that part I, well, I found that very it funny. was just
0: like Micheline gives him prayers to do because he lied
1: um, <laughs> that's brilliant and I thought I, yes it's like Cure as well who's like um, the younger Priest, who's like at the end of the film, if yeah. the man jumps out of bed because he's given him the last rites. Yeah, yeah, and
0: he's like, I want to see the fight, <laughs>
1: um, which is great. And I, I think I liked him as well. He's kind of a character, but it, it says something as well about the, the kind of deference of the priest. And there's bits in it I quite like where he threatens to read Will's name out in mass for causing trouble. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a very old fashioned Irish thing, and it was basically. The country like very, very Catholic, and if your name was read out in mass, oh, you were in serious trouble. Like yeah. this, like if the bishop heard about that, then you'd be summoned, and it's like he could excommunicate
0: you. Yeah, just on that, <laughs> would even um, what uh, Will Denner was doing, where he was like write his name down in the book and then cross it out. Was that kind of almost a uh, uh,
1: not that not, not religiously aware? But, you know, it's, it's kind it's of almost a curse. It, it, in it's a an way. older kind of Irish thing of striking out someone's name. So like namely like that a lines were being struck out is kind of a symbolic thing but it would have been very much a uh this is what I think of you kind of thing it, it, it's it's not so much as religious but but uh, but I, I suppose like, it is interesting as well and the, the fact that I I, I I would say that there isn't a deference to the priest almost in kind of a weird way that I don't think Katie Mary Kate wouldn't have gone up to a priest in the way that she did when he was fishing that I I think at the time sure, I mean it's very familiar
0: what you wouldn't have yeah I, a lot more reverence at
1: the time it would have very much been a priest was almost above you and it's something that you see very briefly when he goes to church and he meets mary kay for the first time is that the way the altar is because this is 1952 this was before they had the the big liturgical reforms of it because mass was still done in latin at the time oh, right and the priest would have been facing away from you so it seems uh, rude but yeah because we we know what i think it's the called the paul the sixth Mass or whatever it is it's, it's the version of mass that was adopted after the second vatican it, it was very unpopular at times it's like oh the priest is going to face us and speak in like english or irish as opposed to like turning away from us and speaking in Latin and keeping a bit of mystery there how are we supposed to play on our phones if he's looking at us it's so it's it's quite interesting there so it was very much a, a, a reverend towards the the priest you know he was oh we, we we were simply too stupid to understand the bible on our own yeah. that was the whole kind of that was actually that's actually a very important thing between catholics and protestants and i'll talk about the reverend in a moment and his and his wife <laughs> you know so i i think that there, a priest wouldn't have allowed himself to be in a pub like that i don't think i i, I just felt that knowing what i know about my my own family kind of growing up but some of them were, did grow up in like rural places at that time that Seems a little bit out of place, but I think it it, it maybe it was the car- the priest himself might have you know chosen to be more pally and good yeah, friendly I and mean, like fishing and having a good time. Yeah, yeah, and I think and I think that's fine. Like, but I, I think it definitely if even he was a bit more relaxed and stuff like that, that all kind of trendy priest. There's is, your secret, Rob. We need the secret. Where that priest catches the fish, yeah, of course. Uh, but, <laughs> we call it Jaws. And maybe you know, the good thing is, well, you, you meet the reverend and his his wife, the Reverend Mayfair, and which is an interesting thing. In and I actually like how it touches all oh, my congregations on only- cigarettes. Yeah, <laughs> and it it two has only like two or three in his congregation, and it kind of does put out there that this is obviously a man of letters, a very a yeah man who was like a poet, and he's he's aware of um you know Sean Thornton's career as a boxer because he used to be a boxer himself. I think it's it's pretty, yeah, pretty touched on, yeah, and it's it's kind of interesting because of course oh, of course he would because he's he's he probably only came to the priesthood a lot later than the Catholic did, and he's also he's allowed to have the wife and stuff like that, so it is interesting. I I, I mean I think in that very rural part of Ireland where this film is set, in the time frame it is, like you wouldn't really have seen as much intermingling between Catholics and Protestants as I think is portrayed here. It, 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 I think, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean this. It, in places like that Protestants would have been Associated with being The landowning class Like literally The sure, landed gentry yeah. And also like the, the Anglo-Irish people Like you know the, the, the Marquess of Sligo You know the Brown family Who made their money Through slavery Had a big Massive house up there In Westport And huge amounts of lands And they'd be employing The, the Irish on them And evicting them And, stuff. and some of them were nice And I'm not, not going to Attacking the Marquess of Sligo The current one is Australian I believe Nice Like you know that thing Where like every All of his kids have died over oh, women, yeah, yeah. So it just goes up And and then it goes, Oh, your seventh covenant has just died. Congratulations, uh, your lordship. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I just think it's it's a bit perhaps here historically accurate in my view, and I mean I'd love to read more synopsises about this film and particularly about religion, but I I don't know if the Catholic priest would have probably given out to him if he said, Why were you over at the Reverend's house last night? Why were you talking to him? You should be coming to me about that. And because particularly at the time, if you step foot in a Protestant church, you were excommunicated. Yeah, was, was the thing.
0: Uh, I don't think they did too much research into that.
1: Well, it's but it, it's just it. I I just think it, it's always been the bit of the film that kind of made me think. Surely they wouldn't have done that, and I think as well. And Michael Oakes, the actor that played him, was actually a Protestant from Dublin, as was his brother, who was one of yeah. the other people in the film. And even like when the priests like cover their collars so that the, the the Anglican, the Church of Ireland bishop, the Protestant bishop comes down and they think pretend like they're all Protestants. There's no way they would have done that because yeah, think... their, if their bishop found out, they'd have gotten kicked out of the church for that. I think the the last
0: thing on that is... before we move on I don't want to drag this yeah, no, down like, too like we'll, we'll get into a bit yeah. of trivia before we finish up but just the, the reason we're doing The Quiet Man is that it's clearly seen as one of the most quintessential yeah. uh, paddywhackery movies yeah. there is and I didn't really see as much of that as, as I was expecting I think from what you're saying there's a lot of um, it's an idealistic kind of perfect world Ireland where yeah. Protestants and Catholics live in
1: harmony I together I think as well it is a bit nail tell a brief personal thing if I could here just because my Great grandparent, one set of them, you know, got together literally when this film was set in the 1920s in in, in Limerick. And my great grandfather was an English Protestant. He moved over here to work on the train lines, actually, uh, the Westfair Railway, uh, which, which uh, notches inward to the trains here. And my great grandmother was an Irish Catholic living in Limerick City. Obviously, they met, and I don't know how they met. It certainly wasn't through a matchmaker, but. <laughs> Obviously, there was a religious issue there, shall shall we say. So, it, it, to kind of get into the whole character, why I think this is so crazy. And one of her other close friends as well, he also had a set of great-grandparents in the same place where there was a Presbyterian and a Catholic. And this is what happened. So, you know, she, she asked my grandmother to go to the priest and be like, i met this great fellow. And he's like, well... First and foremost, you're you're a horrible sinner for doing that. You have to go to mass every single day for three months. You know, you have to you'll sign a contract saying all the kids have to be raised Catholic or else you're all going to hell. And uh, the bishop has to give you personal permission for it. All the kids have to go to an Irish speaking school run by nuns, all of that. So and even when after the, first of the two of them both die quite young, and there's even the reviews of burying them together. Yeah. It was the thing because oh you can't do that. But that's kind of the point I'm making about about this is that there is a lot more to it than really is in this film and I don't think that is entirely particularly in a rural place like that you wouldn't maybe have seen this the way it is like there's a great bit in it where Danaher goes like oh I'll join the Church of Ireland and the priest goes they wouldn't take you yeah. <laughs> that's quite funny as well yeah but, but as
0: I said I think <laughs> there is an idealised view of Ireland yes. here yes and that's kind of where people get the, the paddywhackery mm-hmm. from I mean obviously Ireland's changed a lot since
1: it absolutely and it, it was
0: filmed but even then it was it changed a lot since the time period when it was actually It is and portrayed
1: even, even things like where they were, do, were doing like the races on, on the beach which is an Irish thing as well you would see that in places in the west like um, down at Banna Beach and Kerry and all that where you have like a long length of beach like that they do race horses there. I'm less certain about the bagpipes that that yeah, those
0: those were a mistake. They should have been inland pipes, really, but they weren't. They were Scottish pipes.
1: I can kind of see what they're doing, but I, I, they, they, I don't think music would have been used in the, the way it was there, and also, yeah, just, I, I think
0: we said that before. Yeah, the
1: racing for the bonnets thing. I'm. Maybe that's something that did happen. I'm not familiar with that myself. I didn't look up... Well, I think they do it now,
0: just kind of because of the movie.
1: Yeah, it's, it's like, perhaps it was historically accurate. I, I did look up a little bit of this. I couldn't really find anything. My mother didn't really you know knew it from this film as well, because I asked her, and it... I don't know. Maybe maybe it's fine. Well, I mean, was we do know a,
0: a local expert on horses and horse racing that once we see him again, we might be we, able
1: to... We sure do. <laughs> ask a few questions about it. It'll only cost us five years to get the answers to okay. <laughs> yeah I suppose as well yeah the a, a couple of brief things about the pub I, I like I said I think it was accurate um in that there were no mm-hmm. women there to sound a bit misogynistic, and there was like the back area, but what I quite liked in it was they're drinking Guinness, but he specifically says' it's porter, which is correct because it wouldn't have been stout at the time yeah it would, and there's even a great bit where in the bar where the, the, you can see it best than two come in from the middle of the fight, Sean and will, and they get oh, have a porter, it won't drop your heartbeat as much, and you you can see like the two taps there. For the, the Guinness. Yeah. So, like like I was talking about when I talked about the Guinness, you had the, the high-pressure one and the low-pressure one. It wasn't nitrogen at the time. I thought that's actually a really nice touch because it, it's accurate as well. But they were still doing that in the 1950s. So I think it's a wonderful little thing you can actually see into history how a pub was at the time. Because, like, it's you have porter being poured or in the bottles and then you have your whiskey and maybe a bit of sherry. That's it. And it, it, I think that is... It's, it's, it's nostalgic and it's very nice to kind of see that as well. Um, I also love as well that... Um, the, the, the fella Feeny you know, the, the little kind of ratty fella. Who was yeah. Down yeah. Side. He goes around minesweeping when he comes into the bar Did you notice that? He rubs Oh, bar- yeah, I did notice he, he was robbing pints He robbed a, like, it. Like, it's, it's, I think it's a great little thing about his character that. Subtle. It's you sort of, he, he, like, welcome Bill, Will Danner comes in, pushes the other guy away, and he just robs your man's pint and then starts wanders off with it. I think it's a great little thing for him because he's the same guy that, oh, I'll go down and rub the floor. Don't, don't give, not give him my dinner cake. Or he's like robbing bits of other yeah, people's yeah. plates. It's, it's, it's a, it's a great little thing there.
0: Yeah. So I think definitely a misunderstood film because I didn't see anything that would make it similar to the, the type of movie that we're looking for. Yeah. I mean, certain bits were inaccurate, but those, I weren't. think
1: it's, the, this is the film that everyone told us to, Review because I think that yeah. is the ultimate American view of Ireland film, and it's yeah, not inaccurate. And I, and I
0: think that this totally would have cemented accurate. a certain view of Ireland that you see in the likes of *Derby O'Gill* and other movies, yeah. and probably like the Yank would have been. It's this is the, what we view
1: Ireland as. It's not the first kind of Hollywood film about Ireland. We'll actually review that another day. I, I've told you about it. It's a surprise for later. About a much longer form episode we're for going to try yeah. in the future, but it's this would have been the big one. This was the first really popular one before Darby O'Gill that presented Ireland in this way and I think it did a good job. I I think it's for what it is like being set in nineteen twenties Ireland, I think it's accurate. It's enough I think it it is is idealised as I, I think we can all agree there but as a piece of art I think it's very well done it's believable it's beautifully shot in places on location the music is outstanding I really love the soundtrack on this how it, it has like this the strings and the build up for all the tension and all the bits where they're running and puts in like Irish airs and kind of jigs and reels to it and even the yeah. songs they're singing in the pub it's, it's a wonderful little thing and I, I, I think it does a fantastic job with the music I must say and uh, Marine Hart did all her own singing as well which I think yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's Uh, really good. Great singer, she is. Um, I suppose before we move on to any kind of other trivia and stuff, my favorite line from the film uh, you can buy me a drink at your own wake. Yeah. That's a brilliant (laughs) line. I I am going to use that someday on someone and probably get shot for it.
0: Right, so uh, into a bit of trivia, I think the most interesting one is that what Mary-Kate whispers at, at the very end is completely unknown.
1: Yeah, we have no idea what it is.
0: Uh, it was only known between herself, John Wayne, and uh, John Ford. Ford, so it's something, obviously, maybe she only knew it, and John Ford knew it, and it shocked him, and then they ran off. <laughs> Whatever it was, <laughs> but uh, we won't speculate. Maybe she said something to him in Irish. Oh,
1: Yeah, you'd never.
0: Uh, just some funny things that happened. Uh, in this in a scene in the cottage where the wind is, is uh, whipping, uh, Mary Kate's face. Uh, what is this? She kept squinting, and so John Ford screamed at her in the strongest language to open her eyes. And uh, she goes, uh, "What would a bald-headed son of a bitch know about hair lashing a- across his eyeballs?" <laughs> <laughs> and it's like that's great because that's exactly what Mary Kate would say in that situation. That really like fiery like she, Irish. She does, She
1: does gets her character no bother whatsoever. There yeah. you go. Uh, what else have we got? So
0: when Ford pitched the idea to Hollywood producers, he was told that it was a city Irish story that won't make a penny. I think he was very wrong. Yeah, I mean, considering we're talking about it now and uh, a lot of people talk about it, I think it made its money back and then some. Uh, considering for Republic Pictures, it was the only movie that they've ever done, or the first and it, yeah, first and only movie. That received an Academy Award nomination for Best Picture. Hmm. They normally did uh, low budget westerns and comedies and war pictures. Um, I think they're it, it certainly earning them a
1: lot of money. <laughs> I think this is yeah. very well off uh, doing uh, film.
0: When Maureen slaps John Wayne in the face, she actually broke a bone in her hand. Oh, Jesus. And uh, they weren't filming the movie in sequential order, so she couldn't wear a cast to fix it.
1: Oh, God, that's off. <laughs> yeah.
0: So going through the rest of the movie, she just had a broken bone in her hand. Um, it would almost be interesting to go back and look and see if she was like holding her hand differently in certain scenes. Yeah, I I, I didn't notice
1: it really. So they, I no, think they did like, it quite well. Hand or whatever. Yeah, yeah, maybe.
0: Especially you know like she was dragged across the ground later on through through horses. Yeah, that looked pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was actually selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Film Registry in 2013. Fair enough.
1: I think it deserves that.
0: And uh, one of the the. Funny things is that in the movie E.T., he's watching the movie, The Quiet Man. Okay. And uh, he's got a psychic link to uh, the kid whose name I cannot remember right now. Elliot. Elliot, yes, of course. Obviously, I should remember that. <laughs> Considering... I'll be right here. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, like, Elliot is... Uh, he's watching the scene in the where... She tries to run out of the cabin near the start. Yes, or the, the cottage, I should say. And Elliot is recreating that with a girl in his class. Oh, because he's yeah, watching. it. Yeah, That's and right. He, like he's he's too short, and like a kid, like whatever way, like it's getting really windy because of Et's nebulous powers. I forgot about. And like a kid yeah. tries to like crawl between them, and then he steps up on the kid to kiss her.
1: I remember <laughs> so, that like, now. Actually, so clearly, just
0: yeah. Steve, uh Steven Spielberg, giving a nod to a, a
1: great film in his own I completely forgot about that I, I remember I saw E.T. when they did the reshoot the remake of it well not yeah. the remake you know, they they they, 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 remember they had to replace all the guns of walkie talkies so, and they put it out How in the cinema again, a again in about of 2003 <laughs> which in retrospect I'm like why were they carrying walkie talkies <laughs> like that <laughs> big AK walkie talkies <laughs> oh god so uh,
0: I think that'll be about it for us next week we're going to be watching Dancing at Lunasa we will a great film with Meryl Streep so we'll see how that goes considering we're actually in Lunasa right now we are so that'll be good for us. So, Rob, why don't you play us out there?
1: Uh, thanks very much for listening, guys. We uh, appreciate all feedback, as like we said before. We'll probably throw this up on, I think, Reddit for a bit yeah. of attention. It's The, the Quiet Man. Uh, we're hoping, as well, you, you might like the new intro music on this. We've I, I've tracked it down, and we're hoping we might make a few editing changes here that we hope you like. If you, if you have any feedback on that, please let us know. Um, you can reach us at Twitter, at, at Blarneypod. Or you can email us at talkingblarneypod at gmail.com. And this was by far the most requested film. So thank you very much. We've got a nice few things lined up in addition to Dancing with Set. We've got things that are not just films.
0: Yeah, and also a few, a few good ideas. And also
1: a few longer form episodes. There's plenty more where this came from. So yeah. for me, it's goodbye.
0: Uh, just before we go, just please, if you would, tell a friend. Oh yeah, do tell uh, your try friends. To, we're, we're trying to build uh, an audience as best we can. If you have anyone you know who's interested in Ireland, uh, we'd love for them to have a listen. Just if everyone told 10 friends, uh, which obviously is... They'd have more friends. <laughs> yeah. How do you get 10 friends? Email us in. But uh, just if everyone told uh, a couple of people uh, we could really grow and hopefully get better production quality then. Absolutely.
1: And... We're, we're going to be working on getting uh, two mics set up. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully. eventually we're going to have to be recording this remotely again. But we'll, we'll see yeah, how we'll that see goes. How
0: goes. So I suppose that's goodbye for me. Goodbye. Sláinte Yeah. See you guys.